0: This picture, go ahead and pull that picture up, Bill. This is Olivia. Olivia was a little younger than Wilson when that picture was taken. Which, now that I think back on that, it was just this morning that I was thinking about that again, is, is a little baffling to me as I remember how small she was and um, how much she couldn't do that he can do. Um, it's 2006. 2006. And I was living in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, um, when this little girl came into my life and kind of stole my heart. Um, Her name, Olivia, but that was her new name. Her name before that had been Ababa, which means flower. Uh, And she was in the midst of walking through some significant change in these days that I was able to be around her. Um, Her dad, who was coming to adopt her, uh, had been connected with me through a mutual friend. So he was staying in my house, which meant that they were both there uh, on and off some. And we had this chance to be around her and be around him. And back then, as I was living in Africa, I did some writing online once in a while. And I had written a blog post that I have rediscovered. um, And this is what it says in that post. It says, every day I tell him and her that it's completely okay... ...for him to leave her with me. He already has five kids. Does he really need another one? She is beautiful. One day, I will have a couple. I want to have some kids and adopt some kids. I want to give a home to those who don't have that privilege. Six months before that, I'd written a different post online. It was my 30th birthday, and I wrote that I had made a promise to a friend... ...that if I hadn't gotten married by the time I was 30, I was going to adopt a child... Um, and I was writing about that reality. This this desire to be a dad had been a part of my life for l- longer than I can remember. But it was in meeting Olivia that I have one of my first memories of recognizing that um, adoption, whether I was ever married or not, whether I ever had biological children or not, um, wouldn't simply be a, a plan B for me, something that I would pursue or do if everything didn't fall into plan, uh, but that it was going to be a plan A for my life and my journey. That at some point in time, I was going to invite Africa into my home to live. I was going to invite children who had no other family into our my home um, to live. Um, another significant memory that I have, it was... Probably six and a half years after Olivia was in my house in Africa. Uh, at this point, I was living in northwest Missouri in a tiny little town called Albany. And I remember quite clearly um, a Saturday morning, uh, late September, sitting on uh, the couch that was in my living room having a conversation about my future and about marriage and about family and about ministry. At that point, Callie and I had only been dating for a few months, but it was in that conversation that we shared this desire that we both had to, at some point in time, have two biological children and two adopted children become a part of our family. And for me, it was clarity uh, that this was the woman that I was going to spend the rest of my life with. I don't know why it took me nearly a decade to figure that out, but this is kind of one of those final moments where I was like, yep, so a few days later... Bought a ring and Cal and I decided we were going to get married and a few months later we did. And as many of you know, we're now six and a half years past that conversation and we are following through with this desire that has been a part of our life and a part of my dreams and our hopes for years and years and years, moving forward with this calling on our life to adopt. And the reality is it is much harder than we ever imagined it would be. It's going to take much longer than we ever fathomed possible in order to welcome children into our home. But at some point in time, we will have some new little ones come and join us who will be as much a part of our family, even though they have come from Burundi, as much a part of our family as Emory and Wilson are. They will come and be more of our children. This morning as we continue on the series that we've been on, the series that we've called Being Church at Home, I want to talk today about, about being family and not just any family and not just the idea of what it means for one person or two person or five people or seven people to all live in one household together, but what it means for, for us to think about being family through opening up our current family and offering an opportunity for children that don't have a family to come and be a part of that. This morning we're going to talk specifically about the reality of this orphan crisis that exists in the world and beyond that the scriptural mandate that is there for the church to be a part of caring for vulnerable children. I really wish that as we talk about adoption that I could tell you that it was through this theological understanding that I have had for a long time of God's heart for the orphan and God's call for the church to be a part of caring for orphans. I wish I could tell you that it was in all this biblical theological understanding that I'd come to the place of believing that adoption needed to be a part of my life, but the truth is it didn't come from that at all. Uh, really for me, the desire to adopt came first from a love from kids and then out of that love for kids for a love for Africa and especially Ethiopia, uh, through my two years and then another stint that I was there for several months and, um, and then ultimately through coming to this place of recognizing how great the need was, how many children there are around the world who have no connection to a family, who have no opportunity for a family. And it's really after Knowing that this was my heart. And after Callie and I began pursuing this, that I went back to the scriptures and began to explore what is it that the scriptures has to say about our care for orphans. And the more and more I look, the more and more I wonder, how did I miss this? How did the church, how has the church missed This calling that is so clear, that is so open. How have I missed the reality that the call for us to care for the orphan is no less clear than the call for us to be missional as a church? It's no less clear than that one is. that The more and more I look in scriptures, the more and more the scriptures cry out to me and to us in this calling over and over again, over years, years here and years before in ministry elsewhere. Uh, we've talked about Acts 1.8. You know it, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We know Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. We've talked about it over and over again. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know and we talk about frequently this mandate that exists upon the church and upon Valley for us to be missional. But in ten years or so of me speaking to a church almost every week, I don't think I've ever spent time in James one twenty-seven, One of the passages we read earlier that says, Pure and genuine religion. In the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. For years I have understood this call that we go and make disciples, but somehow have missed the scripture's demand that we be a people who are caring for orphans and for widows. The Old Testament actually expands more so this call to vulnerable people. Deuteronomy 24, which we we read, talks about foreigners and orphans and widows. And elsewhere we see mention of refugees and immigrants and foreigners and travelers among us. The Old Testament has made it clear that that as the people of God, we are called to care for. For vulnerable people and the more and more I'm in the scriptures, the more and more I come to understand that that the call to make disciples must include consistent and ever expanding care for what Jesus called the least of these. A book that I've been reading, preparing for this one, and, and, and thinking about our pursuit towards adoption It's called Orphanology by Tony Merida. And it says, the proclamation of good news and the practice of good deeds go together. There are those that will challenge this, those in the church, but I want you to hear very clearly my opinion, my perspective, and what I think the scriptures say. There is no biblical way to separate these two things. No matter how hard we try, it's not possible scripturally to separate the call to spread the good news and to do the good deeds that the scriptures have called us to do. So today, we're going to focus on this call towards the orphan. Because I think that God has always had a special place in God's heart for the children that are considered among the least of these. There's a tendency among us to think about adoption simply as a family issue. And it is a family issue. There are families, multitudes of them, and obviously, as I've told you, we're a part of them but who have decided to adopt for a multitude of reasons. Some adopt because of a, an unmet desire to parents, for a multitude of reasons why children have not come into their family, so they pursued that desire through adoption. Some pursue adoption out of a desire to offer a home to homeless children. Some pursue adoption uh, just out of a desire to have more kids that are a part of their family. And um, biological children perhaps isn't an option or not an option they want to continue to pursue. So adoption becomes a part of what they consider or what they look at. Some pursue adoption out of a desire to diversify their home. Some pursue adoption out of this sense of calling in their faith. Some out of a social urge, an urge to be a part of of being a part of resolving the problem or fixing the problem, the crisis that is so great. There are so many reasons, and the majority of them, we hear horror stories once in a while, but the horror stories are incredibly rare. All the stuff they run us through in order to adopt children, there are very few people that would go through this process for out of ill intent by and large the reasons the multitude of them are good and honorable and right but what we have to understand as part of the church is that the call to care for the orphan that adoption is not just a family issue this is a church issue this is a kingdom of god issue all of us as christ followers all of us are called to participate In the orphan crisis, we are all called to play a role in resolving this crisis. This is not just for a few super faithful people or super faithful families, just as missions is not for the few special super Christians among us. The call for us to spread the gospel among the nations is a call that exists on every single one of us, and the care to call or the call to care for orphans. Is the same. It is a call that has been placed upon all of the church. But our specific role is differentiated based on our own giftings inside the body of Christ. The call to missions that exists doesn't mean that all of us need to pack up and move to the other side of the world. To Africa or South America or Asia. Although I would propose more of us need to do that than are considering it right now. But it doesn't mean that all of us should go. It does mean that all of us play a role in this work based on our own giftings. And the call to care for the orphan is the same. It doesn't mean that all of us should open up our homes to orphans or to be a part of foster care. Although, again, I would propose more of us should be considering this than currently are. But it doesn't mean that we should all play that role, but it does mean that we should all play a role based on the giftings that are in our own life and in our own journey and in our call and our role in the body of Christ. We see an example of that in in Deuteronomy chapter 24, the passage that I read earlier in that passage, as it talks about caring for the orphan and caring for the foreigner and caring for the widow, it's not talking about receiving them into our homes or them receiving them into their homes. Although there are other passages that do so, that one is not talking about receiving them into homes. Now, culturally receiving an orphan into their home would have looked far different for them than it does for us. There's a huge cultural difference in what that was talking about, but that's not the calling there. That passage isn't talking about it. It talks First, about not putting the orphan or the widow or the foreigner in bondage, because the people of God have been released from slavery. And then it stretches beyond that, and it talks to the farmer or the harvester, and it says that as they are are tending their crops, as they're taking in their crops that will provide for them income and profit, and they recognize that they've left some behind, that they should intentionally not go back to collect it. They should leave that there so that the orphans and the widows can come and feed off of it and also perhaps sell it themselves. So that they have ways to provide for their other needs. We see these these different models, these different modes, these different ways of being a part of this, this crisis that is taking place. This call to care for the least of these. Those who don't have family. Those who don't have home. The ways in which they serve is different. But the call to participate isn't Optional. So this morning, I want us to talk about just a few ways that we could think about in our own families, our own homes, in our own individual lives, in the life of our church, that we could be a part of caring for orphans as the scriptures have called us to do. And an easy, an obvious one is the idea that you and I could open up our homes and our families to welcome those who don't have a family. I believe wholeheartedly that more of us, more of us in Valley and more of the church as a whole could and should consider the possibility of welcoming in children without a home into our own homes. Some of us could do it pretty easily. We could flex and stretch and, and make a few concessions in this way or that way and easily open up a space For children who have no home. Others of us would have to stretch more. Which is also appropriate. We would have to make some changes or some decisions about how we live life differently. That could open up the possibility uh, of of a child without a family coming in and being a part of our family. The reality is that the need for this is incredible. There's almost no way for us to clearly estimate the number of orphans around the world. You will see numbers if you look online that stretch anywhere between 140 million and 230 million. And I suspect you'll find some that that stretch the numbers even farther in each direction. And that's partially because it's really hard for us to understand and come to a unified decision on what it means to be an orphan. The way that UNICEF defines an orphan is this way. They say that a child under 18 years of age who has lost one or both parents to any cause of death. And based on that definition, they would estimate that there are nearly 140 million orphans globally in the year 2015. Now the problem with that number is that there are tons of children who don't have parents and don't have a home that aren't counted in that number. For example, children that are outside some kind of system, they're living on the streets, can't be counted because no one knows where they are or how to track them down. Those who have been surrendered by living parents, who simply can't take care of them any longer, so they've handed them over to someone else, whether that's an institution or an organization or a family member or a stranger or a neighbor, aren't considered orphans because their parents are still alive. Those who are sold or trafficked, whether that's into the sex trade or a multitude of other possibilities, aren't counted among this number because as far as this statistic goes, they've moved from one home to a new home They're not orphans, even though in that home they are being abused and used as property in some shape, form, or fashion. The number of counted kids, 140 million, is staggering. The number that can't be counted is overwhelming. Sure, adoption is not a viable option for all of us. But another role that we could, or another way that we could play a role or participate if not going through with long-term adoption is opening up our home temporarily for foster care situations. Again, a huge need. Just in our own society, there is a huge need and there is this possibility that your home could be opened up to take in a child who has no family. Many countries, ours included, have moved beyond the idea of using institutions in order to house orphans. They've recognized that there's long-term and often permanent damage that's done in institutional settings. This pushes back on some of the attachment theory that we talked about when we talked about being parents several weeks ago. But because of this long-term damage that's done, they've moved to what we know as a foster care system, a system of living in homes instead of institutions, theoretically, so that they can be loved, so that they can be treated as a part of family, so they can be cared for in a more appropriate way before they find a forever family. And we know that even in this, there is sometimes incredible damage that's done. But imagine what it would look like if we as the church became a people who were opening up our homes for children who had no families who had no homes. This quote, again, comes from that book, Orphanology. It says, Upwards of a half million children are in the foster care system in America. And approximately 130,000 of those children are immediately adoptable. With nearly 225 million professing Christian adults in America, no identifiable reason exists that all of these children cannot be placed immediately in the care of loving Christian families who can nurture them with the love of Christ as they grow to adulthood. The church could literally house the entire American foster care system today if we were only willing to do so. And if we understood that in the process of caring for the orphan in this way, we are also actively participating in our call to make disciples. Actively participating as these children have an opportunity to come into godly, Christ-centered, loving homes, to be cared for, to be shown what it means to hear and to live the way of the gospel. Imagine the influence that we could have on children in the system, on the families that they'll one day be a part of, on our entire culture, If you and I were willing to open up our homes so that these kids could spend time in a loving, Christ-centered home and could go back out now as followers of Jesus into whatever it is that they're walking into next. This huge possibility for us exists if we're willing to take on the sacrifice of doing so. And yet, because some of you are thinking, there is no way that I want more kids. There is no way I am allowing more kids to come into our homes. I'm looking at some of you and saying, please don't let more kids come in your home. Sorry, I thought that was funnier than you did. I'm, I'm really thinking about the Elkins who already have 42 kids. But lots of room for more, right? Jackson will be gone soon. You can just fill up his room. The truth is, there's a multitude of ways that we as a church could participate in this crisis, in this reality that doesn't require us taking an orphan into our own home. One of those is that we as a church could decide that we want to be a provider of resources. Callie and I in our journey, as, we're, as we have gotten further and further into this, are learning more and more about the overwhelming amount of needs that we have in pursuing this calling. There are financial needs. There are going to be needs for different kinds of supplies that we'll have to have for new children that come into our home. There are transportation needs. We literally cannot fit more children in our cars right now. There are medical needs that more than likely will be necessary there are social needs as the opportunity exists to connect with people in places who could be places of care, and places of help, and places of welcome, especially for families that are welcoming in new children that don't have family around. There's this multitude of resources that we're understanding, that we're grasping. There was a study that was published by a group called Adoptive Families in the year 2013 that estimates that adoptions cost roughly four times more than birthing your own children. Our organization is telling us that our pursuit will cost over $40,000 for us to get there. And let me be honest with you. I don't have any idea where we're going to get all that money. I, I don't know where it's going to come from. But I remember when we were talking about having children, and we were talking to other people who were talking about having children, and the consensus among everyone was you can't wait until you have everything figured out financially before you can have children, or you'll never have them. We believe that we can't do that with adoption either. It is a clear calling of the Scriptures. And in other areas of our lives, we know that we have to take risks, often financial risks, in order to be faithful to following after the call that Jesus has placed on our life. And as far as we're concerned, we don't see this as any different. We have to walk forward and trust in faith that God will continue to provide those needs. But there are churches, numerous churches that are out there, that are looking for ways that they can be providers of necessary resources that families need as they pursue adoptions. Churches that have set aside money for grants and for loans in order to make sure that families can be a part of participating in this and money never gets in their way. Churches that provide for physical needs, clothing, baby supplies, vehicles, a multitude of needs that these families interact with, that churches find ways to provide for. There are churches in communities that are known for being these hubs and centers for adoptions, even though no families in their churches are adopting any children. They're known for being providers to those who are adopting, rather than being the people who are actually adopting. This is a valuable and vital way in which we could play a part in helping meet the need, and fulfill the calling that Christ has placed upon all of the church. Another easy way for us is to support organizations that are actively involved in orphan work. We already expand the reach of our ministry through our partners, through Impact One and the work that they do with education, which has so much overlap with orphan care, but the work that they do with education in Zambia. Already participating in what's happening with Grace Life at Towson and on other campuses, with InterVarsity at Goucher, with the Assistance Center of Towson Churches and Homeless and Poverty Needs that exist in our immediate area. There are these multitude of organizations that we've plugged in with, believing that helps us answer the call Christ has placed upon valley that we can't meet on our own. So we use partners in order to do that work. We could do the same thing with the orphan crisis. Committing time and finances and other resources to those that are taking care of orphan and adoption and foster care. Supporting an orphanage in a country where things like intercountry country adoption or adoption in general aren't an option. You know, our desire to adopt from Africa, my heart, Ethiopia, Ethiopia no longer does inter-country adoptions. Most of the countries in Africa don't any longer. There were few that we could consider as we believe that this was a part of the call in our life. And some of those, the demands are so huge. One country, we had to go live there for a year before we could be considered eligible. That would be a little hard on you, yeah? We didn't think we were ready for that either. But there are ways in which we could help be providers, partners. We could partner with local organizations who work in this crisis by offering our facility so that they could use it as a space for educating, for training, for recruiting. So many ways that we could find to be a part of this clear biblical calling to care for the orphan among us. The biggest piece that we have to grasp as a church is coming to the place of understanding that God has a heart for the orphan. And our call to be the church is to join our hearts with the heart of God in recognizing that we have been called to be a place and a people who care for the orphan among us. James 1.27 should echo as loudly and as our hearts and our minds as Acts 1.8 does and Matthew 28.19 does. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Is our Religion, our faith, our pursuit of Jesus, is it pure and genuine because we have made sure that this is a piece of the work that we're doing? How are we as households and families and a church and individuals committed to caring for orphans in their distress? No, Valley, you are already participating in this. By joining us in the journey that we're on. We, as a church, are moving forward in this. At some point, children will come join our church family out of an orphanage in Burundi. But in what new ways should we, could we, must we, as a church, care for the orphan among us? What will the legacy of our Religion, the word that James uses, our faith, our pursuit of Jesus. What will the legacy of our faith be when it comes to us caring for the orphan among us? The decision is completely up to us. But the call is clear. Pray with me, would you? Jesus, we pray for orphans that surround us in our community, in our country, in our world. God, I pray this morning for families who are in pursuit of adoption. Think of Angela's sister. Think of Pat's kids. Of others who have decided that this will be a part of their life journey. God, we pray that you would bless them with faithfulness and patience. With perseverance as the road ahead is hard, but the call to follow you is clear. God, I pray for our church and our family that we would be willing to open our hearts and our homes and our families in ways we've never imagined because you have called us to be a people who care for the least of these. The orphan, the widow, the immigrant, the refugee, the traveler. God, may we be known as a church who does this well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.